Good morning. Put that down. I know you want to see me. Not sure why, but uh, the battle is not won. Boy, is that ever true. The war is won, but the battle isn't. We're still in the middle of that. <clears throat> um, this is the first, well, I think one time during COVID, first time that we haven't been at the conference, <clears throat> BBF conference in over 20 years. Pastor Kern is probably preaching right now. No, it's past. He's in the Eastern time. And uh, Pastor Lynn will be giving the Bible Hour down there uh, this year. And uh, I'm hoping to be being, doing fishing this weekend. So, <laughs> Anyway, Father's Day and how important they are. We're going to be looking at a number of different verses this morning, passages, but in battle it is the officers who have been the primary targets. Thank you. <clears throat> Who've been the primary targets of the enemy. In World War II, snipers especially would seek out anyone who looked to be a leader of the enemy, both commissioned and non-commissioned officers alike. A second lieutenant's lifespan, who are usually in front with their men, didn't last long if he did not learn this, the principle of don't look like a leader when you're in battle. Uh, give no indication that you're in charge. The soldiers, theirs and ours, knew that by taking out the leader, it would cause confusion and often defeat. This was especially true in the armies of dictators and communism. Their enlisted men were usually treated like nothing. Uh, Japanese soldiers, enlisted men, were known as three centers to the higher up because that's what it cost to send them a postcard to uh, induct them into the army. So they were treated like nothing, were unable to take charge when their leaders were killed. Our army has been different for different reasons, for different reasons, freedom and education being the main ones. But our soldiers also receive dignity and respect. And there were often men able to take charge when there were no longer any officers to follow. Audie Murphy is an excellent example of this. The most decorated soldier in World War II went from a private whose captain tried to keep him from the infantry uh, because of his size and health, <clears throat> who and was a little guy, mostly uneducated, and yet moved from private to lieutenant in World War II because of his choosing to lead when there were no leaders left to follow. 
which had come to no surprise to us and to learn that manhood is so under attack today. Our enemy is the devil, and he knows better than most that by destroying manhood, especially godly manhood, he wins and God loses. And millions of kids grow up with no image of God to look to. When we see all of the ungodliness in our country, and there seems to be no end of it, we must remember that most have no officer to follow, no father to lead them. They have been raised in the hopeless void of no God and left to navigate through life in, to them, a godless world. What we hear and see all around us should not surprise us, but should sadden us of so many devoid of the knowledge of God and his blessings. But men are called to be leaders of the home. Our passage that we read this morning, 1 Timothy, makes that very clear. This is a day that we celebrate fathers. It would truly be a day of celebration where there are not so many fatherless children. God created it and ordained men as fathers. He actually commissioned all of us as officers, leaders of our homes. And again, this comes out very clear in 1 Timothy 3, 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of wife, and down to verse 4, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Dad is to rule his own house well. This, obviously, this passage makes a man responsible for his household. He is to be characterized by all the things in this passage, but he is primarily to be ruling his house well. The way he leads his house qualifies or disqualifies him for leading a church. God knows, and had to, uh, Paul write this, because he knows that a man's sons in the faith, those that he will raise up in the faith, would turn out to be like what? The sons he has at home. So very important. So often we overlook the majors and focus on the minors and spend so much time on that. But this passage, and again we're looking at leadership in the, in the church, is focused on what's the most important in God's sight, and that is what are you doing in your home? This is what qualifies you. There's a lot of things that I'm going to talk about this morning that I don't like to <clears throat> But one thing, the first church I was at, um, they started with four or five leaders uh, in that church when the church started. When I was there some 21, 20 years later, none of those men were still qualified. I won't go into the reason uh, why, but uh, it just wasn't good. Just overlook. Uh, Grace Pastor wrote a book one time on uh, church leadership 
And the first thing that uh, I learned about it, and he told me personally that a man doesn't have to be qualified to lead the church to begin with. I didn't read the book. He gave me one. I didn't read it. His premise was completely wrong. In the military, the duties of an officer entail uh, conflict resolution, being calm under pressure, being a strategic thinker, making decisions, being a communicator. First and foremost, an army officer is a leader. All qualities that make a man able to rule his household well. And of course, in the Lord, with God's grace and truth, his primary tools. This is what is, of course, again, the devil's behind it, where all the word of God is denigrated when it comes to the man being the leader in the home. Um, but again, his primary tools have to be grace and truth, not an iron uh, fist, if you will. But again, it, uh, the dad needs to be good at conflict resolution. If he has more than one child, uh, there's going to be conflict res resolution, as well as uh, now and again with, with the wife, being calm under pressure, uh, that's a, a need. Being strategic, where's my family going? Where do we want to go? What do, what do we want to, uh, to look forward to? Making decisions, obviously. There'd be many decisions of what is best for my family, what is best for my children, and being a communicator. This is, uh, again, probably where dads fail the most, is communicating the love that they have for their family uh, to their family in many different ways. And then, again, leader. I am leading, and uh, that needs to be always, I am leading towards the God who is and his truth. There are biblical examples of fathers in the in, uh, Bible. It's unfortunate that the man that's known after, man after God's own heart, as King David, who was not a good father at all. He was a, he was a, a real good, exa bad example of what being a dad uh, should be. Number one, he had multiple wives. That's not God's design. For some reason, God overlooked these things, but uh, there are always consequences, and there were consequences in David's life because of that. He failed to protect his daughter, who was raped by his son, her brother. He failed to chastise his son, who did the evil. He failed to chastise a son who killed his brother for raping his sister. He committed adultery with another man's wife. He essentially murdered the man that he had sinned against. These are not exactly qualities that Paul had in mind when he wrote about a man ruling his household well. The irony is that although Saul was not a king, good king and had his kingship taken from him, he seemed to be a good dad. Jonathan seemed to be a real upright son who Saul took counsel from at times. And the opposite of David's son who went to war against their dad, 
Saul's sons died with him in battle. The difference, of course, was that King David always turns his heart back to God while Saul turned his away from God. And one of the things that uh, uh, a thought here with King David, and uh, we see this over and over, is there's hardly ever a man that, uh, there are some, but there's hardly a man that can handle fame and fortune and leadership that was put upon David. And we see it in his son and his sons. Uh, it's an extremely dangerous place to be. And uh, one thing that the Lord has saved me from. <laughs> <clears throat> so dad has duties in the home. And now to notice how Paul writes, having his children in submission with all reverence. This is one area that God does under grace, give direct uh, uh, instructions. Uh, this tends to be overlooked or ignored passage of Scripture when it comes to leadership in the home as well as in the church. Submission means that the children have been trained to obedience. It means the children have been trained to obedience. Because they have been trained to submit to dad's leadership, they have a deep respect for dad. And one of the things we always want to think about here is that this parallels our relationship with our God. How do unruly, dis unruly disobedient children who disrespect their dad because he's allowed it, how are they to have love and respect for God? See, it's, it's not been modeled. I don't even know what that looks like, and I definitely don't have it. They're trained. Our children are to be chained, trained. It is interesting that in Titus 1.6, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, Dissipation has to do with hypocrisy or pretending to be what one isn't. This is one thing that turns kids away from church more than anything. Dad often teaches a kid what this looks like, hypocrisy, and although they hate it, usually follow dad's training in this area. It is a big thing. It is a big thing. When kids see dad different <clears throat> at home in church, they recognize that. When they uh, hear, do as I say, not do as I do, um, that uh, upsets children, and they end up following in the same footsteps, even though they hate it. Paul uses the term insubordination, meaning defiance of authority, defiance of that leadership, defiance of that ruler of their household, Refusal to obey order, and bottom line, disobedient. Delayed, and this is something that uh, uh, I've been leading parenting classes for 25 years, probably. And one of the things that uh, we really stress is that delayed obedience is disobedience. 
I want you to think about this first in light of God. Is there anything that God says, you know, would you obey me when you get around to it? <laughs> it's all right to disobey me right now, but, you know, you're going to do it later. You ever see that? And we're in there, is it? And he expects the dad to follow through on the same thing. Delayed obedience, the kid uh, responding to an instruction later, a dis delayed disobedience is, I mean, obedience is disobedience. This is what Christians have problems with. All people do, but this is where we become repetitive. We keep going over and over to the same instructions uh, rather than insisting upon no one I say something, you need to follow through what I say. And uh, many, many children have been harmed by this, uh, especially in their hearts, but also physically as well, because they failed to respond to the instructions when first given. This is a hard one, but there's so much harm caused by this delayed obedience being allowed to happen or go about in the home. Being allowed to respond at their whim and in their timing is being disobedient, and the child will have little or no respect for dad. And there again, why don't I have respect? Because you haven't demanded respect from your children. And it's caused so much harm, and I'm going to give you an example of that later. So what is God's purpose for dads? I'm glad you asked that. wonder, why are we here? What are we doing? Why do we have these kids? And we hear that every once. Why do we have all these kids anyway? Um, you might be surprised if you don't know. In the last book of what we think of as the Old Testament, God is so mad at the nation of Israel that he unloads on them through Malachi and then goes silent for over 400 years. After the covering the first thing that God was angry about, and we won't mention that, uh, with Israel, Malachi writes in chapter 2, verse 13, and this is the second thing that you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But he did not make them one. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? And here's the answer. He seeks godly offspring. He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. God gave dads a responsibility of populating heaven. Ever think about that? That's ours. That's what he made us a dad for. Do you think he changed his purpose because we're not Jews? I don't think so. Jewish dads are responsible for godly kids to populate the kingdom. Grace dads are responsible for godly kids to populate heaven. They're to come through us. Our training in, in uh, uh, nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
to raise up godly children. Again, Israel wasn't to hear again from God for over 400 years, but tells tells of his plans when they do. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is the key to all broken relationships. We had a broken relationship with God. And God mended that by reaching our hearts through the cross of Calvary, sending his son to die for our sins, that that broken relationship may be mended permanently and forever as Christ took our sins upon the cross, upon his body on the cross, and died for our sins that we may have life, a relationship with our God forever. And so it is with families. Dad is to reach the heart of his family. Over and over, we watched a movie <laughs> last night, a God, dad missing the heart of his family. Mom's warning him, but he's missing it. And so often we do, we get involved in all kinds of things, but reaching the heart of the children. You know, it's so easy. God gives us their hearts when they're young. God gives us their hearts when they're young. Uh, we don't have to win them. We have to maintain that. We have to make sure that we maintain that, that heart-to-heart relationship with our children. And it's really very easy. Now, we get busy with what things are more important and happens in the church with uh, pastors and leaders and pastors uh, demanding more from the men of the church and taking time away from their family. Um, We've seen that over and over. Um, But time is a big thing, you know, but it, it has to be on Dad's heart. I need to make sure I maintain relationships with my children. Again, it's so easy. The children always want it. Think about it in your own life growing up, whatever kind of a home you came from. What did you want? Dad, notice me. Notice me. Recognize I'm here. And above all, Dad, I need your blessing. And it's so easy to do. The fatherhood is under attack, as we know, and we usually don't put this passage with this, but I think it fits Acts chapter 20, the book of Acts in chapter 20. In verse 28, where Paul gives the Ephesian elders a warning Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which is the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that at my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day 
with tears. Paul warned the Ephesian elders that there would be people who would come in and destroy the church through false doctrine. Even from within the church, there would be those who would draw people away from the truth. His warning became a reality over and over ever since. And we see the attack from without. And boy, do we see the attack from without today. We see biblical manhood and therefore godly fathers attack from every area of our society. Any man that dared to uh, uh, imitate his father or imitate God in any way is going to be under attack in our present society. A few years ago, a couple in their home quarreled. It got pretty heated. The wife got afraid and she called the police. The cops came and took the whole situation completely out of her hands and he ended up before a judge and the judge put him in front in a, a probation officer uh, in charge of this man's life basically is what happened. Her words to him and this is I'm sure paraphrased by now you belong to me and I will control your life for years or you can take six months in jail and be done with this whole thing. No court. Just a judge and a probation officer. She, you belong to me. I have control over your life. And the only way that you get out of it is take the six months in jail. Unfortunately, and I think he was right in that. He took the six months in jail. Uh, He was not going to be under that yoke for so long. And, uh, but the upside of this was it it did turn his life around. It did turn his life around. Uh, He's becoming more and more a godly man. uh, And uh, it's a blessing to see. But uh, not exactly the way uh, God intends to get people's attention. The interesting thing was that wife knew this wasn't that serious, and when she tried to take control and get him out from under this, she couldn't do it. They wouldn't allow it. That's that's our society today. There's a black leader <clears throat> comes on uh, a commentary on the TV every once in a while, and uh, you can t- tell the the. Uh, who's ever in charge of the show, uh, the host uh, doesn't like to ask a question, but he does. You know, what's wrong? And he'll give an explanation, but he always end with, and it's a beautiful thing, uh, in that he brings it out, and that is the real reason is the lack of fathers in the home. That's what we need to do something about. Did you hear just... This has happened lately. Uh, judge recently give custody of his child, and uh, and the woman is to uh, um, supply child support uh, to from the woman that she, he raped when she was 16 years old. Everything that was very clear. The rapist. The rapist 
gets the child that was brought in through rape and uh, has a, a custody of the child for six months out of the year. That's where we are today. In the Old Testament, God, anything that destroyed the home, destroyed relationships between man and wife in the family, anything, look back there, anything was punishable by death, by death. When you go outside of my plan for marriage, the husband and wife becoming one, and the protector of the home, anything outside of that, anything that interferes with that, any person is worthy of death, and he demanded it. This is so very important, and this is why we're undergoing what we are today, as we take God out of our society, out of our, our schools, out of everywhere. This is what takes its place. Um, the devil has it planned, and he's very thorough at what he does. <clears throat> so we're attacked through the subtlety of the devil. Leaders whose focus was anything but the heart of God for the home uh, has brought on so much trouble in the church. We get involved and interested in all kinds of things. Sometimes it's theology alone. That's where we are. Every Sunday, every meeting, theology alone. Um, I knew a man that uh, uh, he didn't believe a pastor was a grace pastor if he didn't hear dispensation coming out of his mouth in most every sermon. Uh, people that wanted to hear buzzwords, uh, they may be good, good words and biblical words, but they become buzzwords when that's what I got to hear today. And it undermined the church, little by little, refocusing on less, of prayer, less important things or heresy. Because of the failure of the church to emphasize what is most important to God, truth, it too often embraces sin. And again, we see that rampant today within all kinds of churches. Like the world, the church's banner cry seems to be, the end justifies the means. However we get to where we need to go, the, uh, any way we can do it uh, is justified. So much of what we see today is against manhood, as we've talked about. What God calls good, many now are calling evil. Evil is embraced and encouraged and glorified. I know I don't have to tell you this. Uh, it's everywhere. Turn on the TV and lying seems to be a virtue. A godly man doesn't want to believe that a person wants to lead a church into error and away from God's truth. Uh, we just don't want to go there. We can't believe that this friend, this brother in the Lord, actually wants to lead us away from the truth, and yet over and over it's a reality. It's been the norm throughout church history. Savage wolves will come in, Paul says, and among you not sparing the flock. Next thing I'm going to talk about is something that men, uh, husbands, dads, are not braced for, have no idea about, are shocked by it when it happens, 
And we need to know that it's there and that it happens and we need to be prepared and doing what we are called to do. Too many men today are experiencing the attack from within the home. Many have been devastated to find that their wives insist on ruling the family. And the husband, if he doesn't like it, can take a hike. I don't need you, I don't need God, although I might say I do. I've got the government to take care of me now. And uh, you can take a hike if you don't like me being in charge. My wife years ago was at a women's Bible study and a dozen or so women in there and the, and the speaker asked, teacher asked, uh, how many of you are the leaders in your home? Every woman raised their hand, except my wife. Every single one of them. <clears throat> friend of mine, a pastor, grace pastor, fairly large church, um, wonderful, gracious guy, family guy, uh, went home one night, his wife with their four or five kids, uh, she'd signed him into a shelter. And as he looked into it to see why she wanted uh, the kids the house didn't want him anymore and wanted him in jail. <laughs> and uh, you talk about a shock. man had no idea. And I'm talking about a godly man. I'm not talking about somebody that's off on the tangents or anything else. Uh, just the opposite. He... Uh, as it, this worked through, and she got a lawyer, and he ended up having to get a lawyer, of course. And as they worked this through um, in court, um, he was, uh, of course, angry, and he said something to me uh, against his wife. And I said, if you do one thing outside of loving your wife, this wife that was doing so much evil, you're going to lose. One, if you do one thing against loving your wife as Christ loved the church, you're going to lose. And you know, and, and he knew that. I just had to reinforce it. <laughs> and he did. He went through the whole thing with her in mind. She fired her lawyer one time in court because it wasn't going the way she wanted it to. And uh, this man went up to her and said, uh, my friend went up to her, her lawyer and said, thank you for taking care of my wife as you have been. <laughs> this lawyer was flabbergasted, number one, that she would fire him in court uh, doing what she asked him to do, and, uh, and uh, the husband thanked him. And, uh, yeah, and anyway, the end result was that she got the kids a house and she was to pay child support. And to continue on with that, he actually helped his wife. He didn't take the child support. And uh, he eventually got married again. And uh, him and his new wife both continued to help this woman who truly needed it. But these things happen and we need to know it and and he had a through this a lawyer told him that this happens all the time and uh it's normal 
and he met a black pastor, and the exact same thing. He said, I can start a sentence, and my friend can end it. And he can start a sentence, and, he, and I could end it because it's the same thing all the way through. And thankfully, that pastor did the same thing and that loved his wife despite what she was doing. I've counseled a couple who I never dreamed would experience this. She was sensitive through lies about herself and her life against yelling. She threatened her husband, a pastor and godly man, <clears throat> said, if, I, if you yell one more time, I'm taking the kids and leaving. Well, that's a law that nobody can live up to, uh, except the Lord, I think. <laughs> uh, and he did. He yelled three times at, the, at some kids, some of his kids, and she left, but he wouldn't allow her to take the kids with her. This is a couple close to me. Um, I wrote her a long letter, and uh, using Bible and explaining, you know, God gave you a way to reach your husband. This isn't what he gave you. And it was a long letter. And uh, I, the only reason I wrote it, I needed to put it down in words, and I was going to see her not too long a time. And, uh, but she wrote back, justifying her sin, justifying her sin. She said it was all right, I need, this is all right to do this. Um, when I was there in person, uh, she wouldn't talk to me about the letter, uh, she did own up to some things that were in it. I'll get there in a minute. But the pride was so thick that she tried to manipulate me, which her husband, it floored him when he saw it. And there was absolutely no thought of what she was putting her children through by her actions didn't seem to care at all about the harm that she was causing her kids. Now, let's go a little further in this. We talked about disobedience, right? Delayed obedience is disobedience. All right, this gave me an opportunity to talk to the husband, the dad, about what my wife and I had both been seeing, and that is that the kids weren't obeying their parents. And you don't go there unless you're asked in. <laughs> you don't tell the parents that I don't care how much experience I've had teaching uh, parenting classes. You don't go there unless you're asked in. But we saw it and we would just be quiet about it. Now the door is open. And I talked to the dad. And I said, you know, the yelling came because you haven't brought your children to first-time obedience. He said, yeah, I know. And he understood that. And he began working on that part of his fathering, that which should have been in place. All right. In her letter, she admitted that she kept her husband from demanding first-time obedience. See how that works? Folks, we get away from one, 
one way, one, one part of God's word that he tells us this is a way to conduct yourself. This is a way to conduct your family. One part of it, and then it just snowballs. It just becomes worse and worse. The husband was working on his yelling. But again, why three times? Because first time obedience wasn't there. First time obedience, when he talked to the, or yelled at him, um, they should have, that should have been done, but it wasn't done. The arguing, whatever, the fighting that was going on, it it be done. She used yelling as being ungodliness, but look at a few pages in the Old Testament. In fact, in Malachi, I'm pretty sure though, <laughs> God wasn't pretty firm. And if you go to the, the bottom of Mount Sinai where... Uh, the people of the nation of Israel said, Moses, you go talk to this God, because uh, if we go, we're going to die. And God said he did that. Why? So that they would respect him, God, and not sin against him. See how important this is. That, that they're little things, but see, we don't focus, we don't look at those, because they're not little things. They're tremendously huge things that make all the difference in the world, because they're not of the world. God gives instructions to how to be a husband and wife and how to get the godly offspring he desires. What set of parents doesn't want the peaceable fruit of righteousness in their home that God says comes from disciplining our children? God very clearly tells us how to achieve it, but we know better. We know better, and we'll do things our way and curse God because it turns out to be a mess. And it's not the law, it's not legalism, it's truth and grace that God always calls us to in home. There are a lot of things that we need to overlook and, you know, I was with a group of men here not too long ago, and one guy says, I really don't like my wife's biscuits. And, um, but I've never told her that. And the rest of the guys all laughed and said, yeah, self-preservation. <laughs> Some things we need to overlook. We need to let go. Uh, love, uh, uh, Overlooks a lot of things. But we're also, of course, um, enemies of ourselves, not enemies necessarily, but uh, we cause a lot of harm to ourselves. I was asked uh, <clears throat> a couple of years ago to by my niece, grandniece, to marry her and her uh, fiancé. And... Uh, I had to say no because the fiancé wouldn't take biblical marriage counseling. Um, both Christians. He didn't, he didn't want to go through counseling. And uh, I stick to my guns and I won't marry a couple that doesn't go through counseling. My counseling is simply helping people get off on the right foot and to uh, unite with one another in a proper way and godly way and to... Uh, get past all of those hurdles and, and stumbling blocks that come in uh, as best we, they can. Uh, 
Um, so it's a year and a half, and I won't go into any details. Uh, the marriage is on the rocks. Um, mother and, unfortunately, my niece uh, taking the wrong side, and the wrong side is against the truth of the Word of God. And uh, guess what? I spend uh, a number of hours on vacation with my grandnephew, uh, teaching him the things that I would have taught him in premarital counseling that could have uh, done away with all these problems. See, sometimes we're our own enemy, aren't we? What I love to tell people is God always has our best interests at heart. He always has our best interests at heart. Always, always, always. Faith is believing in him, beginning to let him be who he is in our hearts and trusting him to do what he says he will do when we by faith obey him. Our God loves us, just like a loving father that he is and always wants the best for us, just like we do, dads, just like we do for our children. Fathers are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, train and discipline his children in the Lord, and he's not to be slack in this area just because his wife fights him against the truth. Dads are meant by God to be heroes. We've talked about this a little bit already. Our children, we are heroes to our children when they're born and right up until the time that we destroy that if we do. Audie Murphy, who we talked about already, the truth said this, the true heroes, the real heroes, are the boys who fought and died and never will come home. In my mind, true heroes are dads whose hearts never leave home. Paul makes clear that we are at war and who our enemy is and how we are to fight the enemy, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against people. That's what flesh and blood means. For we do not wrestle against people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Faithful dads fighting the battle at home in spite of all that is thrown at them are the heroes of today's battles. They know some things. Dad knows it is God's strength and power that wins battles. His strength and powers. He knows that she doesn't have any. Dad uses his farmer's, father's armor, not his own. He doesn't have any. He knows he is wrestling against tremendous powers that he will never be able to withstand unless he puts on the whole armor of God. Dad knows the devil is the enemy, not people, not his family, not those without not foreign countries, not evil rulers, not his parents, not his wife, not his children. 
He knows the enemy is unseen, therefore impossible to fight in the flesh. Dad knows that his heavenly father has appointed him leader of his home. Dad knows God's armor is not for offense outside his home as much as it is for him to stand fast in the truth in his home. And this is something that so often is neglected and pastors want to get you out there and fighting the battle and other places and other things and everything. But after you put on the armor, what does he say? Put it on and stand. And stand. He doesn't say go and fight. He says stand. Fight where you are. It's so important. It's so easy out of loving your family to water things down. But no, to stand fast. How many, how many girls have gotten in trouble? This was way back in my time. And lost something very precious to them and their future husband because dad did something that he knew better and he let her stay out all night at the prom or let her give, be in places that she wasn't able, where he couldn't protect her. How many? The number's astronomical and we know that. Way back in the old days when things were all together different, we had two ladies, in our, two girls in our senior class, junior class, excuse me. Um, both were pregnant and had a baby nine months after the prom. One got married, the other didn't. See, it stand fast. And, and how often was it mom that says, I think we can trust her? And dad's heart is, I can trust her, but I know boys. And how often... Dads are influenced away from what they know to be right and to protect their children, to protect them from harm. Dad knows God's armor is protection for standing against evil no matter what the source in order to protect his family. His father, his godly father, asked him to stand, his father God, asked him to stand fast in the truth that is in Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have somewhat reluctantly given some examples of how subtle and surprising attacks can come to the man who chooses to stand in the truth. Too many men have been totally surprised by the devil's influence in those close to them and have surrendered to the enemy. Letting grievous wolves take over the church, wives usurp their roles as rulers of their family and children rebelling against dad's authority. Dads need to know how subtle can be the attacks. I have been blessed with a number of men who know their Heavenly Father well enough to have put on the armor of God and stand fast against the devil. 
They are my heroes, and I pray they are yours. You know many of them. It will take you kids a while to know what wonderful heroes your dads are for standing fast in the truth for you. They don't have to have have to have served in the military and won medals to be heroes. They are heroes. Your wives and mothers already know and are blessed by the husbands you have that choose to stand fast in the truth regardless of the onslaught. Finally, we need to be encouragers of all godly manhood. The onslaught against them has never been greater. It would be unbelievable except a man of God is seldom surprised by the extent of the evil that surfaces his ugly head. People look to me to be surprised at many things. No. <laughs> no, how often have I told, this is normal. When God isn't in the picture, this is normal. Dad's, dad's a spiritual wickedness. <clears throat> The spiritual weakness that constantly attacks has one goal in mind, and that is to keep, to prevent us from seeing God. We must see him as he truly is, that loving, caring, compassion. He must become our father in our hearts if we are truly to be able to stand and be the rulers of our homes that he has ordained us to be. When we do it, when we do, it causes our families to see who he truly is, and we raise godly children for him. We'll close with the words from a war hero of Israel, as well as a hero of the faith, Joshua, in Joshua twenty four fourteen, and I've omitted the words that don't pertain to us. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And with that, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word, and your word is a book of instruction. Father, our problem always is that we don't know you well enough. We don't know your goodness. We don't know the truth that will always set us free. Uh, Father, that will always take us in the right direction. It should always be our hearts to know you better. You are portrayed as an ugly uncompassionate, uh, mean, and uh, vicious God. And just the opposite is true. Uh, we can't look at the cross without seeing that. Father, we see, we thank you for dads, what you have called dads to be, what you actually created to be. Uh, Father, what an awesome responsibility and a precious one. And Father, so many blessings you have built into that of being a dad. Uh, 
Father, one of the things that's uh, pure joy and blessing to us, and even gets better, uh, Father, when we become grandpas. And uh, we thank you for that as well. But Father, again, it's it's knowing you that's what it's all about. And uh, knowing what you put in your word is there for a purpose. It's for a purpose to bless us, Father, and to populate your heaven. Uh, Father, uh, you're such a big God that you want your heaven just uh, filled overflowing, if you could do that with heaven, <laughs> uh, with people that you can bless forever. Uh, thank you, Father. Thank you for the dads that we have that love you and are standing fast in the truth that you are. And Father, we praise you and thank you in your wonderful name. Amen.